Greetings once again, my friends, and welcome back to Why We Geek. We're a month out, but thankfully we recorded this all in advance because we all are busy and we all have amazing schedules. But welcome back to Why We Geek, the podcast where we talk, where we take a specific piece of geek culture, we pick it apart, we analyze it, we show why we love it, and we also show why we would love to have it fixed. And thankfully, the panel is not necessarily all that hard to introduce today. First of all, I'm your host, Adam Mickelson. I hope everybody's had an awesome year of 2018 so far. And like I said, the panel is not that hard to introduce because it's the same panel from last month. We had to pair this together because we, we, we just we got so much feedback from you guys that we didn't spend enough time with Disney. So we had to give another Disney month. And today we're going to be devoting ourselves to Disney live action features. So let me go ahead and reintroduce the panel. We have my cousin Lizzie Mickelson, who is joining us, who is basically my Disneypedia. Uh, whenever, <laughs> whenever I have questions, uh, I go to her that are Disney related. But but it's cool because like a lot of people don't realize this, too. She comes to me for stuff, too. Like she doesn't know everything Marvel. No. And so at that point, I can at least tell her, oh, yeah, this is amazing. Or I, I think. I think you and me have talked Star Wars a couple times where yeah, I we a have more than you did because I'm a nerd and, and I like the Disney or the Star Wars expanded universe, even though Disney doesn't because uh, they read it out of canon. Uh, but yeah, so first of all, Lizzie, how you doing? I'm good. Thank you. We, we're having some amazing Disney talk and this is this is making your day. This is so great. I love this. I will always do this. This is going to be great. It's going to be, be talking, great. We're going to be talking about Disney and physics and all that. Yeah. And then we also have my wife, Andrea. How you doing, Andrea? I am doing just fine. All right. And like I said, we're going to be going into live action Disney films. Now, the first little bit of focus here is what you guys asked for. We're <laughs> going to be talking about the live action initiative that Disney has had with bringing some of their animated films to a live action sense. Now, we've already had a few come out we've had maleficent that kicked it off we've had cinderella which and uh, lizzie will still kill me because i still haven't seen it yet uh, it's like the, around the time yeah. i had time to go watch it it got off netflix yeah surprisingly i i haven't seen it either but i'm planning to at some point when i can get my hands on a copy somewhere yeah. so we, we've had those um and we actually have a slew more getting ready to release um but there isn't too much to go into here, so we're going to keep it as brief as we can because the other part of live action for Disney, it just so happens to be its acquisitions. Um, we actually, enough of you guys wanted us to go into a little bit more detail with their acquisitions, and so we're going to devote some time to Marvel and to Star Wars a little bit. Star Wars, not so much because Star Wars is kind of the new acquisition. There isn't a whole lot to go with there just yet. But the, the perfect place to start things off is your favorite live action Disney film, like of the stuff that's come out so far, which one does it the most for you? And actually let's go ahead and start things off with Lizzie. So what, what would you consider to be your favorite live action Disney film? With or without acquisitions? Without. Without. Okay. That makes it a lot easier. I, they're, they're going to get their time in the sun. Yeah. Okay. So I, oof. <laughs> um, I, would have oh golly okay Do, can i pull an adam mickelson and say a tie yeah you, you, can, you can okay so i'll say a tie between cinderella and beauty and the beast okay and it's not just because they're the two princess movies or whatever okay no you can't really make that claim because everything has been a princess movie so far. not pete's dragon well pete's, or jungle book pete's dragon yeah i guess technically jungle book doesn't have a princess though. yeah 
Okay. All right. I'll give it that. I, I don't. Maleficent is not a princess movie. It's a whole other issue. Is it's what it a is. Whole other issues. <laughs> but, How about sometimes villains are just plain evil. But um, sometimes they're not Angelina Jolie. <laughs> but they're my favorites for different reasons. Cinderella because it gave me the backstory that I needed. Okay. Um, as far as Cinderella, you know, I said before, I was like, Cinderella girl, leave, just go. But you yeah. know, Cinderella gave the backstory as to why. Beauty and the Beast did give some more backstory that fl- that filled some plot holes left behind from the animation, which I thought was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it's a visually stunning film. Beauty and the most Beast of the Cinderella. time, Beauty and the Beast. Okay. All right. No, the design most of the time is gorgeous. It's a really well done film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, those are my two, and All I mean right. the. The additional music that they brought in, the new songs that were written, I think fit really well into the narrative as a whole. So I was I was excited. I like I like the film mostly. Okay. <laughs> uh, my pick is actually going to surprise a few people, but considering that I haven't seen a whole lot of them, I actually refuse to see Pete's Dragon because as soon as I saw the trailers, I'm like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. I really did want them to do like the kind of hokey original way Pete's Dragon was done. And unfortunately, they went down a really weird modern day Aragon kind of feel. And I'm just like, um, mine actually is going to be Beauty and the Beast. And the main reason being kind of what you've actually stated, it actually added flavor to something that already was pretty delicious to me. Mm-hmm. Um, like it. The only reason I have never liked Beauty and the Beast was because of bad memories. I'm not saying it's bad by any stretch. Uh, I actually did like the fact they added more lore to the beast. I liked the fact that they added more lore to the castle and the, some of the performances, despite what critics actually said about the movie, I felt were a lot better than they were given credit. Uh, in particular, Ian McGre- uh, Ewan McGregor as Lumiere, I thought did really, really, really great. Um, Luke Evans as Gaston. So good. I mean, oh my gosh, we just barely said this off camera, but like this, this, this sold him where Hobbit didn't kind of thing to me. Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but the guy who played. Uh, oh, uh, Gaston's little LeFou, LeFou, yeah. Josh Gad. He was supposed to be a controversial figure because they, they played him off as gay. And I'm just like, no, no, I'm fine with this. I, I actually liked how they played the character because I actually think the musical goes this direction too, doesn't it? It depends on the director, yeah. but some do, some don't. So, so at that point, I, I didn't have a problem with Josh Gad, and I like the Beast. Um, again, this was added lore uh, to a character that didn't have a whole lot to begin with. There's a lot of mystique around the Beast when you take the animated feature, and I know this is sacrilege to a lot of people because a lot of people didn't like the Beast's performance. I would dare say it was a little bit better than Robbie Benson. And I like Robbie Benson, so that's that's kind of my deal there. But yeah, this is probably the one that I would have to say is my favorite. A lot of the other ones haven't really resounded yet for me. Andrea, what is your favorite live action Disney film? Well, since I haven't seen a whole lot, you know, yet, because mm-hmm. I hear that they're going to be trying more different Disney films coming to live action later on. But I would say Beauty and the Beast has probably been the top one so far because i haven't seen cinderella live action yet so when i get a chance to see it i'll see how much 
more close to the tradition of Cinderella because I mean you've seen so many live action Cinderella versions you kind of wonder does this one kind of seem more close to the cartoonish you know yeah adaptation versus like oh we can just repeat Cinderella it's just gonna take a whole new modern spin take on it so so since we all brought up Beauty and the Beast, I'm just going to go ahead and bounce into one of our, our questions that were submitted by you guys, uh, because unfortunately, Lizzie actually has a really busy schedule. I know a lot of people wanted to do some crossovers, but it just isn't going to work out. So, Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, I'm sure she would love to answer whatever questions that she can. And, and that's why we can we can still bring her on from time to time to be able to do that. Uh, but since we've all brought up Beauty and the Beast, let's actually just cut into the meat of it. Um, was it worth the wait? Was it worth the ticket uh, now that we can actually give our critical point of view on it? Now, I'm going to be I'm going to be honest, like, I don't know if you watched or read a lot of the critic scores for Beauty and the Beast. They hammered it. And I think a little relentlessly because um, I actually walked out of that. and I think I even sent it to you via messaging. I'm like, I gave it like a nine out of ten. I think there were missteps in particular. You wasted Ian McKellen. Um, you absolutely wasted him. And it's, I, I can't remember if we actually had a discussion on this, but it was just simply because when you have Ian McKellen, the solid presence that he is, you put that on screen as often as you can. And when you put him in that little CG clock, you can't do that with him. He didn't have enough lines. He didn't have enough presence. So at that point, it's like, but then why do you bring in Ian McKellen? Kind of thing you bring him in for his presence and you didn't do that this time so i do have like complaints with this film but i think it got hammered a lot harder than it probably needed to be that being said i was probably now in retrospect i was probably a lot nicer to emma than i should have been and that's just because now that uh, before you scream <laughs> i've made my my viewpoints now like Emma is a great actress. Professionally, I have a lot of respect for her. I have a feeling if I'm ever stuck in a green room with her, we'll strangle each other because we're just not going to get along um, in whatever viewpoints you want to actually bring up with it. But when comparing, and, and you have to do this because people will compare it to the animated feature, comparing, I think it's Paige O'Hara is her, is her name, Paige O'Hara to Emma Watson it just feels like Paige was utilized way better than Emma was from the director. That That's like my only real beef with it. I think she did delivered as solid a performance as you could have. But when you look at the expansion of the Beast, there really wasn't an expansion with Belle. And that kind of needed to happen. At least not, not a, an expansion in a direction I think they should have gone. I think we got more about Belle's dad than we got about her. So Lizzie, Lizzie's been kind of sitting here going, I, I, need, I need to step in here. So let's go ahead and start with Lizzie. So your thoughts on Beauty and the Beast. Okay. Here's the thing. I do think, like to answer the question, I do think it was worth the ticket. It yes. was worth the experience. I mean, sitting in the theater, I mean, it was a good, like as a film goer, as a viewer, as yes. an audience member, it was a good experience. Um, I do think critics bashed it pretty harshly. Um, the thing is, you when you're transferring a story as iconic and as classic as Beauty and the Beast, yeah. someone's going to be unhappy by whatever reason, by the director, by the performer, by whatever, because it's not 100% the same. Someone's going to be upset no matter what you do. 
Um, cough, cough, Michael Bay Transformers, cough, cough. <laughs> um, but that having said, is it a perfect film? No. Um, no, no there, there's no such thing. Um, I agree with you on several accounts that you mentioned. I wish um, Ian McKellen had a s- more presence because when he was on screen, you felt his presence. Yes. The very few times that was able to happen. I wish it, there was more of it. Um, I really, 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 really did not care for Emma at all really? whatsoever. I don't think she was playing a character. I think she was playing Emma Watson running around in a dress. See, what's really sad is you're kind of right. <laughs> I mean, like, seriously, I'm like, you're not playing a character here. You're just kind of being you with a slightly crusty personality. And I, it just, you know, for anybody who's listened to any previous episode I've been on, Beauty and the Beast is my heart and soul. It is my di- ride or die, my everything. She was not Belle to me. Um, I have seen several productions of live stage beating the beast. I've seen all these different things where I say, oh, that's Belle. Is it a different take on Belle? Yes, but that's Belle. She was not Belle. She was Emma Watson running around in a dress to me. Um, Opposite of that, I think the beast, I thought he was amazing. No one expected that performance. No one expected him to sound as good as he did. No one expected him to look as good as he did. See, you want to to know one of the best things I read from a critic that made me laugh out loud? Um, their problem with the beast was that he wasn't as loud and boisterous as Robbie Benson got. That was a that was a director's choice to to have Robbie go that way. And it's not necessarily a bad one. It makes sense when you look at it that way. But I like the fact that this beast was and I'm not remembering the actor off the top of my head. I just want to say Matthew Crawley, but that's Downton Abbey and that's not right. And yeah. I can't okay. But the fact that they went towards a more soft spoken beast. One that isn't necessarily like looking to be loud and boisterous. Um, I thought that was actually a better thing to do because the CG was already covered. We knew he was a big hulking beast. We needed to see a softer side. And this was a great way to be able to do it. Like in particular, I will actually say this, and this is going to be sacrilege to a few people, but the library scene, I think the live action movie got it better, in my opinion. I didn't like the fact that Robbie Benson out of nowhere just handed a library over to a girl. Okay. Because this is a castle's library. Books are sacred. You don't want to ruin those things. And it was just like, you're handing this entire library over to her. Wow. That's really generous from a guy who was being an absolute, well, douche nozzle to you about five minutes ago. And I like the fact that a, the library was smaller and B it wasn't that he was handing it over. He was basically just saying, you have these kinds of books and we have these kinds of books and maybe you would find this interesting. It's been a while since I've read Greek kind of thing. And and at that point we got to see actual character from the, from, from the character. We got to see him actually become softer. Uh, Cause I hate to say it like the animated feature, there is a little bit of a justification in the argument of you should still hate the beast and not, and, and like Gaston the live action one. No, you can't say that. They've given enough personality to the Beast that that's not the case. And one thing I really appreciate they did with the Beast is because when I heard first, you know, I was really excited about the live action remake, but everyone was like, okay, what are they going to do with the Beast? Is it going to be prosthetics or is it going to be CGI? And I think it was a little bit of both, wasn't it? Well, okay, you ready? From from what I have been able to research upon me geeking, um, I... We appreciate geeking. Yes. Um, 
from what I understand, at first they were going to go the prosthetic route, which I greatly appreciated because I've had schooling in that. I really evaluate. I love and appreciate good prosthetics. Um, they got them all suited up. They got them all fixed up. And as they were filming, they realized that because the prosthetics were so extensive, they were losing some of the facial expressions and the gestures and the small little tuning of the face that really made this performance of the beast so kind of like revolutionary and in its own right and what we all those of us who liked this performance what we all like appreciated about this beast was he was more you know he wasn't that raw and scary but he was more kind of reserved and quiet but because the cgi they were able to make his facial expressions so human by how minimal they were yeah i think that was something that I thought that was a smart decision on the director's part. It was um, because at that point you had to show the humanity within the monster. And and it, that that was the one thing that I was wanting above all else in this, because I knew all the other performances would be OK. I mean, you know, in retrospective, I kind of agree with you on Emma. Like she she wasn't necessarily playing Belle, whereas Paige O'Hara was. Absolutely. Um, she was told to play a role. It's almost like voiceover guys do it better than the actual actors these days. <gasps> oh, snap. Um, well, some of them do multitasking. Emma is not one of them. Uh, and in f- correct me if I'm wrong. Emma hadn't done anything up until Beauty and the Beast, had she? Well, she did. Um, did you, did, didn't she do like Noah's Ark or something? She did. Oh, no, she did nice. a Noah's Ark film. She did Perks something. of Being a Wallflower. Something like that. Um, but I know that she did The Circle and that came out like a month after. And that's the thing is like as far as acting goes, she was relatively quiet, mm-hmm. whereas she was making more headlines and more news with her own personal, you know, yeah. political feminist agenda. Hence why if I got stuck in a green room with her, I'd have issues. Yeah. I'd probably want to strangle her. I loved you as Hermione. Not so much as a human being. Anyway, no. so I already know I'm going to get hatred. And I, don't, I don't even care because I'm not supposed to agree with everything that everybody says kind of thing. It's like it's like right now we're not agreeing with the critics. The critics were were a little harsh to this film. I think considering, you know, my exposure to this was Maleficent this is <laughs> a lot better in my mind. What about you, Andrea? Where are you sitting on it? I think it did as well as it could, you know. I mean, sure, it was kind of sad not to see Cogsworth, you know, Ian McKellen playing that role a little bit more because, you know. Well, what's even sadder about that is, like, when you look at the amount of time that Ewan McGregor and Ian McKellen had it was kind versus of like- Jerry Orbach and David Ogden Steers, there's, there is difference. There's a lot of screen time and difference. And I think part of that is because they tried to bring in more characters. You know, you have much more screen time from the garderobe and the piano. Whereas Mm -hmm. in the other film, you know, is the garderobe there? Yes. Is she as extensive? No. And part of me thinks that one of the reasons you had to do that is because if I remember, I can't remember who played the the wardrobe, but um, in the live action, in the live action, Audrey McDonald, Audrey McDonald. And then, oh, I can never remember his name off the top of my head, but he played the piano. Um, oh, Hunger Games. Yes. His name just flew out of my head. But we're talking like two high tier, high paid tier actors. Yes. So at that point, you had to give a little bit more focus. I'm not saying Ewan or Ian are at that point, but they don't necessarily have to be there. I mean, oh, yeah. Ian's getting the Magneto money. Ian's yeah. getting the Gandalf money. He's he's set. And Ewan technically is set because, I mean, he was he was Obi-Wan. He'll probably be Obi-Wan again. 
Um, you and Set. That's why he takes on a lot of the more art artistic projects. He's fine. He doesn't have to worry yeah. about it. <laughs> so at that point, I don't, I don't think they really cared. But when you look at those other two actors, yeah, you had to justify the paycheck. Oh, yeah, thing. pretty much. Um, same thing with Emma. You had to justify that and put her in a main main tiered role. Um, I would even say that's probably this. Actually, no, never mind, because Luke Evans, I want to say Hobbit didn't make him, but this one did. And I hope he got a bonus check out of it. He, he he did a it. wonderful job. He earned it and a half. Like I almost was rooting for Gaston, almost until and then he shot somebody, and then I'm like, oh, now I can hate you. And he punched Bell's father, and I was like, Ugh. oh yeah. I was kind of okay with punching Kevin Klein. I've seen Kevin Klein get punched before. Oh come on. <laughs> um, I, I will actually say like, I can think of about three or four other people, Ian McKellen, Ian McKellen included that could have played Maurice. And I'm not saying Kevin Klein did a bad job, but I just kind of sat there when I looked at him and went, why Kevin Klein? And he, sometimes it was just actually, nice. You, you want to know what really weirdly happened? I almost wanted him to play the piano. Huh. Interesting. I almost wanted him to play the piano because I think he would have, I think he would have been suited for it. But no, that that's like my only issue. I don't have a problem with Kevin Klein. It's just, eh. And it was always nice just watching them, you know, do the singing portions too yeah. you know yeah just some of the musical parts of it I, i'll admit one of the things i did like about the film was that they did stay true to the musical theater roots yeah and uh that that's the way that they needed to go oh and and to all the people who are screaming out oh my gosh you had a black guy in there. i don't care <laughs> i really don't musical theater things don't have to make sense i just don't i because because again like I, I i love the people who made the argument of like well you could have just, you know, powdered him up like like you would in, in French culture. But no, you couldn't do that because of black guy. Not everybody was powdered. Are you talking about the librarian? Movie. Yes. Okay, here's... <laughs> <laughs> what people don't realize is that, you know, for American audiences, he is a very, very, very famous British Shakespearean actor. Yes. Which was why he was put in that role in the first place. Mm -hmm. Like... And people are getting upset about race. I'm like, right there's the difference between America and the UK. Good job. <laughs> oh my so God. there you go. Now, now that we've gone into to Beauty and the Beast, we we've talked about the best. We now actually need to bring up the worst. What what do we consider to be the worst live action film that's come out so far? And what? for for me, that's that's not even. I was like, I know what yours is. <laughs> Maleficent. Maleficent, because Angelina Jolie didn't understand the character. But then again, neither did the director. So that that's kind of my issue with it. I didn't see Pete's Dragon, so I'm not even going to judge that. But it, uh, given the directions that they went, I think it would be a very close second. Um, I know a few. I know my buddy Stephen Romney will bring up Jungle Book. He did not like a lot of the the, the portrayals. But uh, yeah, for me, it's Maleficent. I didn't I didn't even see Jungle Book. What about you, Lizzie? No, I got a Jungle Book. I mean, I what? But you hate Scar Joe? Look out, world! Here we come. Um, but I like as a kid, Jungle Book was never one of those stories that I super related to. Yeah. Did I still appreciate the characters and the music? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And the characters and the music are what made that such a likable thing for me. And so when they got brought into live action and those disappeared, there was really like nothing appealing about the film sense. like even to me the because warner brothers had a jungle book movie yeah they did close too and it didn't make sense to me to for either of those companies to do jungle book uh jungle book is 
I think in most lists, it's, it's pretty low. It is. On, on a lot of that stuff. Like you could, you could have easily done, and granted, the projects are happening. You could have done Little Mermaid over them. You could have done Aladdin over Jungle Book and people would have had more recognition out of it. And I love the fact that the first thing that everybody goes after is the Scar Joe performance. I can't do that, but look. I'd, re- I'd first go after Christopher Walken. I was like, what the frick is this? Was he actually in it? He was the King Louie. Oh, no. Oh, why? yes. I didn't why even notice that. King, why was he King Louie? It was awful. I have to go into my walk-in just to explain it. No, it, it was... Work. it was, And I love King Louie. Like, he was one of the yeah. characters... Like, he and Baloo. I'm like, yeah, let's go. No. Fun fact. The only reason I... The only thing that I liked out of Tailspin? King Louie. Because yeah. I, th- I think Louie was like the bar owner kind of thing. <sighs> and Shere Khan was the mayor. And also the the head of the big company in that city. So, I mean, yeah, you had walk in there, but in Scar Joe's defense. I've seen Scar Joe take on rules that she wasn't necessarily all that inclined to take, and she still knocks them out of the park. Okay. fun fact. I I don't know if a lot of people know this. She wasn't really all that keen on being Natasha Romanoff in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And yet that's probably been one of her most successful things. And I mean, I did see Ghost in the Shell. Oh, the one thing I, I don't have a complaint with is Scar Joe. Scar Joe worked as, as well as she could with the major. There wasn't a whole lot to work with, but I'll, I'll give her that credit. So I, I don't necessarily know if I would go down the line of her performance was was wooden. I don't I don't think she can do that, but I haven't seen the movie. So that's that's my my only issue. With it. Are you are you saying that's not the case? I just I just. I, I that that groan was you don't need to see the movie. Yes. <laughs> don't waste your time. Yes, there you go. That's the seal of approval. Don't see it. Don't waste your time. All right. Uh Andrea, the worst Disney film, the live action Disney film you've seen. Do I have to answer that one? Actually, yes. I really don't have a dislike for I kind of wondered if it was gonna go down that line. I'm like, there's no way you'd say Maleficent. Well, I don't have a big, huge library to just say, okay, which one do I think is the worst? I mean, I can understand your viewpoint of how they took Maleficent to being, you know, but it's like it's they're trying to tell its own story. And sure, it seemed a little strange to be, you know, adding kind of like the um, Sleeping Beauty aspect, you know, somewhere down the line. But I thought it was an interesting way of how she became the way she was. But it just, you know, yeah, kind of turned like, oh, wow. Now she's considered the Prince Charming of the story, you know, sort of thing. Very cool. Uh, So the next question that we actually have, which is a lot to is a lot to take in. What would we like to see from Disney live action films in the future now? We have a bunch of of movies already set in stone at this point. We have a live action Aladdin. We have an Ala- We have a third Aladdin movie. A third Aladdin movie, which is a genie prequel, um, still in some kind of production. We have Mulan, which just got cast. We have Lion King live action. Uh, I think Little Mermaid is set to go live action too, isn't it's, it? It's rumblings. Of, it's rumblings. Yeah. So we have lots of live action movies coming down the pike and a lot more even rumored. I've even heard Hunchback has been brought up as a live action movie. Um, where, where are we standing with it? Like, what 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 do we want to see from these films in the future? What do we see they need to improve? But also, like, which ones do we think actually need treatments? Because I'll be honest. Um the second that I heard that Will freaking Smith is playing the genie, 
I went, I'm not seeing this movie. You've officially lost me, even though you cast the Pink Ranger from the new Power Rangers movie as Jasmine. And I liked her performance in that. Will Smith is a genie? Not sold. Not going to go watch it. Call, no. <laughs> call, my, call my hatred of Will Smith whatever you guys want to. He's not the greatest actor since sliced bread, as far as I'm concerned. And putting him as the genie, I actually think is an insult to Robin Williams. I wish they would have cast the guy who originated the role on Broadway. Because everyone was scared when they cast him as the genie. They're like, there's mm. no way this big black guy is going to be able to do this role justice. And he totally did. He made it his own while paying respect to Robin Williams. And he like made that role. And so as soon as I heard they were doing a live action, I was hoping well, that it, they would scoop him up. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong. The, I can't remember the guy who got cast in the in the Broadway version, but... He had kind of a comedic repertoire like Robin as well. Yes, he's a comedic actor. So at that point, like, but I'm saying like he had this huge repertoire that like Robin had uh, where he could do a bunch of impressions and he could do a bunch of, of various shticks. And that's why it worked. Will doesn't have that. Usually he's your he's your run of the mill action hero. So what are you going to do? Call back to his Fresh Prince days? That's not going to work, guys. It, I can't even and that's the sad part. It's like I can't even think of a comedian that's up to Robin's level currently. That's why I think it's such a hard role to cast. But I certainly think you could find another comedian out there that would be better than Will Smith in that role. Again, send your Will Smith hatred to at Drac2326 on Twitter. Because <laughs> because her, her brother's already going to give me crap about it. He's like, you just don't give Will a chance. I've given Will many chances, and he's flubbed almost all of them. <laughs> so with that being said, um, Lizzie, where are you standing? Like, what, what do you want to see from, from live action films? I... The one that I'm probably most excited about as far as rumblings wise is The Little Mermaid. Mm -hmm. I think you can do some visually gorgeous work with that. I mean, yes. you if you're under the sea, you you have a really big creative world to explore that I think can be done very well. At the same time, I'm afraid that we're going to run into another Moana turtle, not turtle, uh, crab moment with shiny. Have, well, you don't know what that is anyways. Yeah. But I just... Well, yeah, well, I, I would guess that they have to do something like Flounder and Sebastian. Well, yeah. No, and that's the thing is like they have... The sea creatures play such a big role. There's no way they can just do only mermaids and merman because you're no. going to lose a lot of it. Um, I think if they don't use some, at least some, if not all of the original music, that's a really bad move. Yeah. Um... But, I mean, you know, and the thing they're worried about right now is getting a good director attached to it. And the one I've heard right now, most right now, is Rob Marshall, um, which I could see going well. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I, it's one of those things, again, it's like a Beauty and the Beast thing. Like, it's a beloved story. I'm going to be nervous. It can be great. It's not going to be as great as everyone wants it to be because it physically can't be. Well, and I also see... Little Mermaid has actually, I think, a lot of potential to fix some of the problems that I come agree. up later. Because, mm -hmm. um, I mean, here's the thing. Like, some people love Little Mermaid and will we'll forever love it. But, I mean, I've heard so much debate about Ariel and yeah. whether or not she is the whether or not she is the worst Disney princess and the fact that she is that stereotypical bratty kind of girl. 
And so I look at this live action movie and go, that's kind of a way to fix the character. You can do a lot of yeah. like plot hole filling attitude adjustments. Yes. Give and, and make it sense. Give make Eric sense. a spine and you know, maybe <laughs> we'll have a good movie on our hands. Exactly. Um I'm also excited about the casting for Mulan. I think they're being smart about it. I, I will say I'm excited too, but there's one thing that I, I want to see happen, and it's not because I want to dumbify this movie or anything like that, but I just think this is actually a really great way to pay homage to the old Wushu films, um, which, look, look, if this was done in China, this is how they do it kind of thing. They, they go that Wushu angle. I'm not saying you have to bring in the guy who did Crouching Tiger. There's plenty of other guys in China that can do it. Do something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Let's make let's for as hammy as it'll look. I don't care. It's going to make Mulan look bad ass mm -hmm. on camera. And so and especially if you have a legit Chinese actress, one with serious cred, mind you, um, that's probably the way to go is is go with what makes a Chinese film work. No, and, I agree. And oh, my gosh, you, you'll have a film that caters to the Chinese market and to the American market because a lot of people love Crouching Tiger. Um I mean, it got Oscars, I think, at one point. I'll have to double check that. But yeah, that, that's one of the things I would also like to see happen there. Andrea, what about you? What would you like to see from live action 2D films? Um, well, it would be interesting to see how they would pull off Little Mermaid to be in live action, which is, you know, one that I've like, that'd be actually interesting to see how they would do it in live versus, yeah. you know, cartoon. But the one that I would definitely would want to see them do would be the Lion King because of how they made Aslan look in, you know, when they did the Narnia movies, I could just imagine what they could do with Lion King. Oh yeah. Just, just think about like if Disney owned Walden and like they were able to, and they were able to consistently work with Weta Workshop. Oh, that'd be amazing. Um, another thing that I like actually throw in there too is is I, this is not necessarily falling under the animated to live action, but I do actually want to see this become a focus too, and it's simply because this film would work in this day and age. I know people have a lot of problems with Tron Legacy, but there has been rumblings of a Tron reboot. I hope that these are not rumors. I actually think that this, you know, the 80s wasn't necessarily the time to do Tron. That's why it's a cult hit, not necessarily a, a big hit. And I, I honestly believe like Legacy kind of fell flat because of that, because you were basically bringing a cult film and hoping that it would do huge success. So I keep on hearing rumblings from Bruce Box, Lightner's Twitter and a couple of other places like the, there's a Tron reboot. I think there's a lot of potential in a lot of your older live action properties being remade more than your animated films. Okay. Tron being one of them. I think there's tons of potential to do a flight of the navigator remake. Um, th that's definitely something that in this day and age, that ship would look amazing in this current technology. Um, so at that point, I'm not necessarily saying that the animated movies are bad, but some of them just don't cater to a live action tinge. Well, and we've got Mary Poppins coming. That's exactly what's happening. Yes. Yes. So. Gondu Odonta, notwithstanding. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. Okay. Uh, but yeah, we have a ton of those remakes and I'm not saying they're bad, but there's a lot of the other stuff that you would consider to be failed projects that would work really well in this day and age. And so at that point, I would also say start considering these because I mean, I love the musical for The Lion King. 
I just don't know how well that's going to play out on film. And I would rather see like a, a Tron reboot than see Lion King. I think Lion King animated is fine. You don't need to touch that. Uh, with that being said, we're, we're kind of halfway into the podcast, so we need to shift. And that is we've talked about the live action that Disney alone has done. Now we need to talk about some of the acquisitions that Disney has gotten over the years. And some people don't. Phil, I see you raising your hand off in the distance. You and I were both on the same page when we heard Disney owned Marvel. OK, we both thought it was a bad idea. And we both all agreed with the joke of Tony Stark sitting there with all the Disney princesses and going, I'm going to fit in fine here. OK, because it was never going to make sense. It was never going to work. I'm, I'm off talking into the ear and Lizzie's like, what? I'm talking to you, Phil, in the audience. Um, let's go ahead and start with the acquisition of Marvel, which was one of the weirdest acquisitions. A lot of us kind of shook our heads at it, but it's actually considered to be one of the most profitable ventures Disney has done in the last 10 years. Uh, if for no other reason, then all I have to do is bring up the Avengers and the money that that brought in to show you guys how awesome that that has done. So that being said, let's, the first question we need to get into is what, or how, how do we feel Disney is doing so far with Marvel? Like, and, and what I mean by that is Disney's approach to Marvel is, is really hands off right now. Okay. They, they're basically letting them do what they want to do. We don't know if that's going to stay that way. I mean, we've already heard rumblings that the Marvel Netflix series are done because now that Disney's doing their own streaming service, they're just going to bring those properties in to that. And I can already tell you guys, there's no way those Netflix properties would ever work in a Disney streaming service. Never. Jessica Jones, Daredevil. Yeah, no. They would never work. So how do we, so the question is, how do we feel Disney is doing so far with Marvel? My my answer is obvious. Well, they're making money. And frankly, they're reinvigorating characters that. I'm not saying Marvel did anything bad by, but I like the approach that they didn't take all the popular characters right off the bat. They took what were considered to be B or C heroes and they made them famous instead. Instead of just going down the default route of we want Spider-Man, we want the X-Men, we want the Incredible Hulk. We got things like Iron Man, Captain America. How many people actually think that Captain America would work on film in this day and age? And they took him and they actually made three awesome movies with him. So at that point, I think they're doing really, really well. I love a lot of their approaches to the characters, even when they have to hand things over to, to a director to take a darker approach. Even Daredevil on Netflix is amazing. Not necessarily there with Jessica Jones. That was really gross, but Daredevil was amazing. Uh, Lizzie, where, where are you standing with it? How do you think Disney is doing with the Marvel acquisition? I mean, I got to echo basically everything you said. I It's a much healthier and more profitable relationship than I originally thought it would be. Yep. I mean, everyone was like, what the heck is going on? You know, when it first got released that, you know, Marvel's joining the Disney family and, you know, you saw the Iron Man with the Disney princesses and all these things. But the way that Disney, I mean, I mean I've said this before, that the way that Disney takes care of its characters, mm -hmm. that whole myth, 
methodology and the whole character integrity thing that is now being adopted over at Marvel while still letting Marvel kind of do their own, like you said, kind of their darker tones and working with these other characters that are definitely not Disney. But I think it's working in a way that is bringing some awesome stories into light and some awesome characters that people are falling in love with all over again. And and to add to that, um, because we have because it's hard to bring this into the mix because we're talking about Disney, which is mainly in uh, TV media, movie media. But Marvel is a comic company. okay? and I like the fact that Disney has basically also given free reign to Marvel as a comics company to still kind of do the, the darker stories that they want. I mean, if, if you guys don't realize this, the whole superior Spider-Man angle, which a lot of comic fans didn't like, that happened under the Disney umbrella kind of thing. And Disney wasn't involved with it. Like Disney did not mandate, because here's the thing. I, I, I don't know. Do you know the story of superior Spider-Man? I don't. To, to sum things up roughly, um, through some shenanigans in comics, Doc, Doc, Dr. Octopus and Peter Parker switched bodies, except Dr. Octopus was on the verge of death. Oh, dear. So basically, it's Doc Ock in Spider-Man's body, okay. but being a hero kind of thing. Oh, wow. So that's why we got the superior Spider-Man, which actually had like Doc Ock tentacles kind of okay. things. Um, so at that point, again, that sounds pretty dark, right? Mm. That was under the Disney banner. And Disney didn't get in the way. Disney said, do what you want to do. Kind of thing. So I'll, I'll at least give them that credit. Under the Disney banner, we've had the first ever female Iron Man, female Thor, female or black Captain America. Um, we've had lots of these amazing things. And, and I'm not saying we just did it because we have to do it, which look is Disney's kind of medium. Sorry, Foster's fans, but that's what they kind of do. But in in ways that it actually was acceptable, it made sense for them to do these these official switches. I mean, for crying out loud, do you think Deadpool would be a thing if Disney was breathing down their neck? Would Gwenpool be a thing? No, absolutely not. Um, so that being said, I, I just think that Disney's rule of non-intervention has actually worked in their favor a lot more than a lot of people want to admit. And it's actually been amazing when they just said, OK, well, we'll run with your momentum and make that work. I mean, for crying out loud, that's how we got Earth's Mightiest Heroes, the best Avenger series that has ever come out. Uh, Andrea, where are you standing with uh, Marvel's relationship with Disney? Do you think it's working? Well, I think it works well, because I mean, after all, you know, it, comparing Marvel and DC, it seems like Marvel has been having lots of success with their, you know, interpretations of doing a lot of their Especially when the comic companies are by definition going darker, um, that they feel like that's the only story that can ever be told with them. So I, I do like the fact that they've, again, had that non-intervention policy. Maybe they've gotten involved when it came to the films, because I think Disney's mostly paying for the films, uh, but they let Marvel be a comic company. It's like Holy it's crap. it's like, well, we'll let you do what you think is best for the films. And we just, you know, look probably look it over just to see you know if there's something that's i will also say that the disney's acquisition of the directors has been an amazing way to be able to pull a lot of this stuff off you've made careers but you've also solidified careers in that regard i mean john favreau can pretty much do whatever he wants to do now <laughs> shane black i think is about that point too and he took over from john favreau um i'm not remembering the the director for winter soldier but he's basically infinity wars director so 
we're already having a lot of success coming out of this stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I think the direction is is fairly consistent, and I think it's working out to be a, a good relationship for all of them. Now we can get into the stuff that everybody loves. Favorite Marvel film. This is going to be a hard one. So this is what I'm going to do, even though the, the fan didn't want me to do this. Top three. You can do a top three. It's not easy. Guys, there's so... Like, if we were talking about the Star Wars license, which doesn't have a whole lot yet, um, Marvel does. Marvel has three, almost three complete phases at this point. There's lots to go over. Uh, so let's go ahead and go with, I, I guess I'll start things off. And my number three is very easy. It's the one that started it all, the original Iron Man. And for no other reason than, and I, I will say this, and DC fans can get mad at me all they want. I have loved Iron Man more than Batman all my life. And the interpretation that we got was perfect the way that it needed to go. The only thing that I would have done better was I wanted a full on Hall of Armor, but it's okay. I, had, I just had to wait two movies and then I got my Hall of Armor. Um, I will admit I had legitimate problems with Robert Downey Jr. being cast as well as Gwyneth Paltrow. I didn't think either one of them could take on either Tony or Pepper. I'll give some credit. I'll give tons of credit to Robert Downey Jr. He's amazing. I'm, I'm going to be sad to see him go when they reboot this thing. Gwyneth. You're okay. <laughs> the most I know. All of us are like, yeah. You're okay. You're okay. Please don't kiss on screen ever again. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, you just don't have the chemistry. Please don't kiss ever, ever again. John Don Cheadle was right. He should have shot you. Uh, my number two, I don't even have to think about this because this did Batman v Superman better than Batman v Superman. And it's a tie between Winter Soldier and Civil War. Because the funniest part about this whole thing is Civil Winter Soldier, even though they were months apart, was competing with Man of Steel. And then Civil War was technically competing later with BVS. And yet, strangely, it did what those two movies couldn't do with a character that couldn't fly and didn't have the recognition as one Superman. So I have to at least give that acknowledgement. Um that they outdid DC in every stretch. And this was when DC was getting started. My number one is also a tie, but it's only because I have two different ways that it goes. My number one has to go to the first Avengers film because that's the one that set the tone. That's the one that actually made a team up movie amazing. Yes, I'm admitting it. It was better than Brian Singer's X-Men. It was a lot better than that, especially when you had the years of build up to it. And the second one that I'm going to go into is another team up, but it's better for completely different reasons. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. It's very rare when I think a sequel can do better than the first, but holy crap, this one did it in spades. It actually is. I, I have love for the original Guardians of the Galaxy. Volume 2 beats it now. And it, it beats it without having to compete with it at all. So I'm going to give it to volume two for the sheer hilarity that came out of that movie. All right. So, Lizzie, what would be your top three okay. Marvel films? Well, I mean, I got to agree with you. I mean, right away, number three, I have to give to the Iron Man. I mean, I, as soon as you said it, I was like, amen, because I mean, that not only did it kind of set up this world, it set up our expectations. Mm. After that film, all of us were like, 
okay, the rest of these better be pretty good because this was pretty good. And they've delivered most of the time. You know, Hulk, whatever. Okay, whatever. But see, see, what's funny is like, my dad sent me to the original Iron Man. He's like, I don't think this is going to be very good. And we're, we're talking about a guy who had Iron The reason I read Iron Man number one was my dad. Yeah. My dad had it. And so he sent me to go make sure that it was good. And as soon as I went home, I'm like, Dad. You got to come back. <laughs> and and we both walked out. We were like, Nee-. Yeah, exactly. Um, and Which is funny because we love the original Iron Man, but we both kind of had the same reaction to Iron Man 2. We were just like, uh, <laughs> yeah kind of thing no because i i mean growing up i really wasn't exposed to star wars or marvel or any of this so this was kind of like my first interaction you know i knew who superman and spider-man and batman were i knew they were superheroes yes but besides that this was kind of my first kind of like all in superhero moment and from that point on i was just like yeah i dig this you know what i mean yeah um moving on from that I mean, oh my gosh, it's so hard. I probably will give it to um, my number two spot. I'll probably go to Civil War. Just, it's so good. Like, you can't, uh, and once again, these were characters to me, you know, I didn't know Captain America existed. I didn't know who Bucky Barnes was, and I didn't know all of these different, Red Skull, anything in the... See, this is why it made sense to take these B or C heroes. Nobody knew them. No, yeah. And so you got to know them just right along with the fans. And just watching kind of, you know, as soon as Civil War started and everyone kind of, it, it took the idea of what a hero was and kind of tweaked it. It was like they both believe they're doing both sides believe they're doing the right thing and they're going to fight literally to the death to do the right thing. Yep. What does this mean when we've both when in the past as audiences, we've considered both sides to be right. You know, it's one of those films that just kind of it. it's a superhero movie, but it makes you think type for three thing. act structure to work. You need to have a villain. And yep. this one, tech. I mean, technically, there was Baron Zemo. He was in there, but the the actual conflict here was captain america versus versus iron man yeah. and so at that point it was it was a lot more difficult for people from that film perspective of like well i like iron man but i also like captain america whose side and i actually love the advertising campaign for this film whose side are you on i mean it was straight up it's like this is going to be intense you're going to have to pick a side and someone's going to die basically is yeah, what this, it was this tore the movie universe just like civil war tore the marvel comic fans apart mm-hmm. And that's that's what needed to happen here. And that's why it worked. Um, and then as far as my number one, uh, I'm having issues. I'm like trying to go through. Because uh, while I've been home, I've been binging like Marvel just because I've wanted to. And I hadn't seen some. I needed to fill some gaps. So I've just been going through. Um, I really... I, I might be one of the few people who says this. I don't know if it's like my number one. It might be like one and a half-ish, mm-hmm. two. Um, I freaking love Doctor Strange so much. It would be my number four. Yeah. It honestly would. Like, I, again, a character I knew nothing about. I did not know his story. I did not know he existed. And, next, and the casting was weird. And the next thing you know, you know, as soon as I heard about the casting, I was like, I don't know about this. And then, yeah, that, that was my big deal. I'm like, you're getting Benedict Cumberbatch to play Stephen Strange. Yeah. And then we got to see him in the in the makeup. And I'm like, that works. No. And then as soon as you see it, you're like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is good. Um, at least. The other the other cool part about Doctor Strange, too, was 
we got to see our first take of magic in the Marvel universe. I loved and, it. Uh, I loved it so much. I'm, I, I, again, I'm going to get such flack from the DC fans. Way better interpretation than we got in Suicide Squad. I agree. Sorry. So Suicide Squad is technically our first into magic because BVS had Wonder Woman, but we didn't see a whole lot of what she could do in it. So I'm going to count Suicide Squad as the first exposure to DC magic. Not worth it. And then I feel like my number one is a tie. Um, part of it going to the first Guardians, because I still like the first Guardians oh, better than the second. I know like we have different opinions there, but that, the, I, I no, that, that's the cool part about both Guardians movies is like they both stand out on their own. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I still love the first one and I always will. And then that is tied with um, Thor Ragnarok, actually. Okay, I'll give that to you. It, I it, love... That was the closest thing to being a Guardians movie without being a Guardians movie. Yeah, honestly. And just seeing these characters, because, I mean, over... You know, you see these characters that you fall in love with over, over the course of... Thor was a very early one to come out after Iron Man. Yes. And watching him change significantly. And I, I, will, I will be the first to admit, I have a thing for Loki. I love Loki. And I will never not love Loki, and it's a problem, and I understand it. But watching him in this film was one of the most, like, greatest yes. movie experiences ever. I was just like, I was the happiest little clam just in there watching Loki. I just, while, while I, with, with Loki and, and all that, it's just, that, that was the one film that I just loved it, that he could be devious to his um to thor every time but it just was nice for them to actually this, this team did a up lot and better fight than, for the than same dark cause did, where he could still be he could still betray thor yeah yeah no so i i i'm and i'm just really excited to see i mean you see but me I, sitting here i'm just really excited to see what comes next but i will say this uh oh it was damn satisfying to watch matt damon play a dying loki that what Okay, I don't know who decide like wherever that came in, like whenever that became an idea, whoever's idea, director, actor, I don't care who it was, they need like the biggest bonus ever because that was one of the funniest things ever. It was amazing. See, see, it was cathartic for me because I, I, I don't like Matt Damon. Okay, I really don't. I hate a lot of his performances. Um, I think he's one of the smuggest SOBs in Hollywood today. And the fact that he played a dying Loki, I'm like. And my and her brother could attest to this. I was like, yes, yeah. die, Loki, die. <laughs> and I was like, yes, die, you sick son of a bee. And that's all I cared about. Okay. But uh, and it was also really cool to see Anthony Hopkins be played. So, I have a feeling that that was one of those days where they're like, Anthony, have fun today. Exactly. Like, honestly, you get those people outside. It's just like, you know what? You go for it. Yeah. We'll just we'll just keep it rolling. You just go for it. Exactly. And, and Anthony doesn't get those many days, especially when he gets asked to do, you know, this and that and the other Hannibal remake. He just doesn't get those days. So I, I'm very happy for him on that. So you you had Guardian. Did you mention the other tie in there? You said the original. Oh, Thor Ragnarok. OK, yeah. Oh, it's, it's so good. Now I need to see it again. It, it I just want to go watch it all over again. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's it's awesome. Andrea, your favorite three Marvel films. Well, since I haven't grown up too much with being, you know, a fan of Marvel, but, you know, since then, you know, when I opened up to watching some of these movies, they were all great. Probably my third would be, um, I haven't watched Iron Man in a long while, but I did like the one where I think it's probably going to be the third one where um, Tony, you know, um, 
basically activates all of his suits. Half that, protocol. Yeah. And so you good. know that was probably my favorite scene. You know, out of that one, that would make the third. You know, just because it was just epic seeing all the yes. different variations of all of his Iron Man suits. You know, just. That, that that made that movie because I mean it was supposed to be a, a reinterpretation of the extremist storyline that they had just recently done, and that fell so flat. But when you had that high house party protocol kick in, it was classic Iron Man again. I'll admit that. Although poor Ben Kingsley, poor Ben Kingsley, he got he got handed like one of the best Marvel villains to play, except he wasn't playing him. Yeah. 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 Anyway, <laughs> anyway, so, so Iron Man three is your your three. Yeah, second would probably be Civil War, just because you know a lot of these um, Marvel movies. I always love you know the action scenes, especially when there's a team up involved. Yes, when you have a, especially a team since this was like the. No, Winter Soldier technically is like the first team up that they had done. That well, yeah, but I mean, Bucky. this was probably the best one of them all yeah. just because you were just kind of curious on, you know, you have two different groups and they're deciding, OK, who are we going to have on our party? And you, it is kind of amazing well, who ended up showing yeah, when, up. When you're going to divide things, it's like, you know, how are the battle lines drawn? Like, where's Black Widow going to end up? Where's Hawkeye going to end up? And a lot of people were asking those questions, you know? Uh, that's one of the things I loved about Civil War is like it kept you guessing who's going to join Iron Man's team, who's going to join Cap's team. I mean, and I'm pretty what sure. added to that was the the left hook that came with our favorite little wall crawler, <laughs> and where he actually came into it. And, and the the best part about it, I gotta tell the story before we move on, because you remember, like her brother Alex, who I do a lot of stuff with, um, he was absolutely excited that Spider-Man was going to get brought into an MCU movie. Okay. You know, like this was all going to happen. He's like, yes, we can finally move past all the crap and we can get a good one. And the first trailer that shows the new Spider-Man in Civil War, I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and why didn't he like it? I didn't like the eyes. Like, you got to realize that that's like the most expressive part of Peter in that costume. Yeah, I didn't like it. <laughs> it's like, you waited this long and you don't like, like it. Like the eyes? Oh my gosh. Over the eyes? Well, unfortunately, there was a lot to not like in there, but we'll get there. Um, yeah, okay. so, yeah, because I don't know if if um, that happened in, like, comics of Civil War, if that ever existed. But Civil War is a is a very popular storyline, so much so that Civil War 2 just barely happened. But it was interesting when I was like, who's that other guy? Oh, that is Ant-Man. Because I was like, I didn't realize who that was at first because it's been a while. Because you forget that like these these guys have had their their main focus like you expected Thor to show up somewhere and Thor didn't show up. Mm -mm. So it, it, that's one of the things I think makes Civil War work is was it was a lot of minor heroes that got some spotlight in Avengers films. But this was where they got to shine. So you got Vision, you got Black Widow, Hawkeye, Ant-Man. Um, Falcon, uh, and I think this was all. Yeah, this was the debut of Black Panther. So you got to have that, too just so that you could you could spice up for black panther this year ah! so i'm excited i'm very excited i'm so excited <laughs> so number two civil war number one was kind of a tie and i'm trying to figure out which one i liked the best uh oh it was between either avengers or avengers 2. They're, they, they, that's another example where i would say like age of ultron stands above like it stands on its own 
next to Avengers. I mean, I liked when they formed the team of the Marvels, but I loved it how they added, like, you know, Scarlet Witch. Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver, Vision. Falcon was technically added at that point because he he came in. Yeah. But it was also a cool movie because it started to get rid of the old guard because we're already starting to hear those rumblings like Robert Downey Jr. just can't be paid by Disney now. And so at that point, they have to look to let him go and maybe even reboot him. Um, Chris Evans, I know that he's actually been kind of begging to get out of the cap role so that he can go and direct. So it's one of those things where we have to acknowledge like new heroes while, you know, bringing in a new guard while respectfully getting rid of the old guard. Um, I can't remember um, in Avengers 2 if Loki made an appearance or if it was just one. Uh, he was in one, and no, he didn't make an appearance in two. He was because he he did Dark World. That's true, and that set up. The, yeah, that's right. Because beginning of Ragnarok. I mean, that's the only other thing I liked about one was because Loki was in it. Because Loki's there. Well, I, the other cool part of that was like villains are out there, oh, and yeah. villains are off doing their own thing. They don't just all have to be thwarted and go to jail. Oh yeah. Um, I love the fact that um they were still. Shield dealt dealt with this. Uh, the Shield series dealt with this a lot more, but Hydra was still out there, and they were still like they had Shield assets, kind of thing. I like the fact that they stuck with that gun too, because uh, it's the Marvel universe. Villains aren't always taken to jail every day. Yeah. Sometimes they're they're concocting schemes. Uh, so with that being said, we've done our best in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We have to go into the worst. Which one is the one that that holds the least sway in your heart? Um, or or doesn't make sense in the canon or anything like that. I'm not necessarily going to do a top three. I, I think we can get away with a top two because here's the thing. A lot of Marvel movies are good. Um, they are either awesome to good. So it's really hard to do that. But I think there's at least two in there that maybe don't make sense to a lot of people. Um, mine are fairly easy to go into. I have no problem saying this. Iron Man 2. I... I should like it. I should love every aspect of what they tried to do with that. And it, every time I, I boot that movie up, it is the hardest thing to watch. And it shouldn't because it's Iron Man. It was already established. And the other one that. It almost seems like sacrilege to say it. But Spider-Man Homecoming also falls a little flat in the MCU just because of a lot of the major decisions that were made with it. Um, I, for example, love Michael Keaton as the villain. I think he pulled it off and a half. But the MJ reveal irritated me. Pretty much every high school scene irritated me. And uh, I wanted more time in the suit. So at that point, Spider-Man Homecoming and Iron Man 2 are the ones that kind of fall flat in the MCU for me. Andrea, what about you? What are the two, one to two Marvel movies that just don't hold up the, the way the rest do. Hmm. That's a very hard one. Probably just Iron Man 2. It was just kind of maybe hard to get into at times. Okay. So Iron Man 2. And you, you just had the one? I'm trying to think of my second one. See, if I had a three, I'd also throw in Thor, Thor The Dark World. It's the it, it's the other Thor movie that just doesn't fit for me. I could watch Ragnarok and I could watch the original Thor. I just can't do Dark World, even though Loki's in it. And and look, I, I understand the Loki love. Tom Hiddleston has done amazing with that role. Dark World, he was not given enough focus. 
Oh, I cannot think of a second one, you know, to okay. save my life, really. So that's cool. Uh, Lizzie, where, where are you standing with it? No, I mean, you guys have said it. Iron Man 2. Just no. Yeah. And then um, I agree with you, Thor 2. I just can't. No. Because at that point, it, it really kind of pointed out the problems with the Thor movie. Exactly. Especially when you brought back a lot of characters that people just that are like. unnecessary. Yes. I mean, I like Natalie Portman, don't get me wrong, but her character was unnecessary by that point. And uh, especially since you had to have some way to bring in the Guardians and Thor was your way to do it. So I'm kind of glad that they got rid of those elements. But they didn't necessarily say they're not there. They just said, we're not doing anything with it. Eric Selvig can show up in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and it'll be fine. Uh, So there you go. That's the worst Marvel film. And... Oh, Jiminy Christmas. I, I think I've actually broken my iPad at least, at least a little bit. There we go. Um, the next thing that we need to get into is we're coming up on the third Avengers film. Feels really bad, too, because Justice League just barely happened and Justice League just failed. <laughs> but Infinity War first trailer actually came out on Star Wars The Last Jedi, and it was worth it. So our thoughts on Infinity War. Are we excited? Are we worried this is too much? Are we... Optimistic, pessimistic. What are what are our thoughts on the matter, Liz, Lizzie? You you look like you've got something there. So I'm excited and terrified at the same time. Yeah, I'm wor- okay. I'm worried that everyone's just gonna die, and I'm gonna be really sad about it. <laughs> but I know, you know, as we've talked, we have to, you know, bring in the new guard while respectfully retiring the old guard. But I'm still, no matter what happens, it's gonna be hard for me to swallow just because I'm that type of person. But um. I think they're setting it up to be a really, really, really good movie. I just hope, you know, it just doesn't... Because some... I mean, Marvel does a much better job, in my opinion, than some others that who do team-up movies. I feel like yeah. their team-up movies have been a lot more successful, a lot more grounded, and a lot more believable. Cough, cough, Warner Brothers, cough, cough. <laughs> um, but... Cough, cough, Fox, cough, cough. Cough, cough, cough. Um, <laughs> so I am excited uh, but I'm ner- I'm always going to be nervous yeah. whenever something of this magnitude and this importance comes out. I'm going to be nervous. And and the other part to, that makes you additionally nervous. This is technically still a two parter. This is still like this is going to have a cliffhanger that has to be resolved <laughs> in phase four. So at that point, like, I mean, the trailer alone already made me sit there and go, this is probably too big. This is probably just too big a movie. There are too many fronts that are being fought, yep. um, including like Thor has to go and get the Guardians and so we have to fight in space. We have to fight in Wakanda. We have to fight in the rest of the world. And I like what they're doing. I, I love Thanos, by the way. I think he he's going to work really, really well on screen. And unlike you, Warner Brothers, Marvel has earned it. Uh, Marvel earned Thanos because they actually built to Thanos. I, they didn't just go, oh, let's go for the... Oh, but what did we built to Darkseid. No, no, you didn't. You had one movie. One movie that built in Darkseid. And no, Justice League don't count. That was Steppenwolf. Just telling you guys, DC. You're going to do Darkseid, build to it. Uh, Like Thanos, who is Marvel's answer to Darkseid. So at that point, I do like what they're doing in that regard. But I also like the fact that this is also going to be the movie that introduces a lot of the phase four stuff. Mm-hmm. Captain Marvel will show up, I believe in infinity war. So we get to see 
our first superheroine in Marvel Cinematic Universe. And she's amazing. She is freaking amazing. I'm excited. Pre-technology. Uh, I'm no, I'm I'm more than ecstatic about it because the, I actually just barely realized this at our New Year's party is like there aren't too many ladies in in the canon. And unfortunately, like I like you, Scar Joe, but I like you professionally. Uh, I'm not necessarily like you're not on my hotness scale kind of thing. And Scarlet Witch kind of isn't there either. But who knows? Maybe I can actually because I, I know the actress that's playing Captain Marvel. And she did a good job with what I've seen her so far. Oh, it just makes me excited for phase four and what they're what they're actually going to pull off. Oh, maybe maybe Wasp because she technically counts this July. But yeah, so I'm, I'm excited that they're going to do it. But I also have a lot of real worry because this is going to be the point where make or break. You have to actually establish a new guard. And uh, I also kind of agree with my buddy Stephen Romney. We've had a lot of really successful Marvel movies we eventually have to hit a brick wall at some point. I, I hope it's not this movie, but eventually people are going to get tired of the Marvel movies. You can't just do them year after year after year. People are going to get tired of them. Um, so maybe after after we get phase four done, maybe take a five year break and let the hype build again. You'll work on some original ideas, maybe. What's I know it's that? Such, I know it's such sacrilege to say that. Andrea. Oh, geez. Sorry. Andrea, what are your thoughts on Infinity War? Excited? Are you worried? I'm really excited for it. I mean, just watching the trailer alone and seeing how many um, superheroes may take a part in this role. Yes. It just was amazing just to see that. And I think it, it oh, will do... I just do... barely realized this. Our te- technically, our first look into Teenage Groot will be Infinity War. I'm so excited. I'm <laughs> I know, I'm all about Groot with a sassy attitude. Let's go. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. I want to see it happen. I just want to see him sass rocket. That, that's going to be amazing. Anyway, sorry. And I think it'll do really well since um, a lot of, you know, like the Avengers has pretty much done really well throughout the whole entire time. I can't see why Infinity War will be. No, it's, it's definitely built to a lot. Um, I especially liked in the trailer. We're actually going to see Thanos collect the gems. Uh, we're actually going to see him beat the crap out of Doctor Strange to collect the uh, Eye of Agamotto. And Vision. And yeah, he's going to beat the crap out of Vision. Um, to get. No, I think he just invades the vault that has um, the purple one from Guardians. I think he just invades the vault that has those. And oh, no. And then Loki brings him the Tesseract because he actually had access to it in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. This is going to be amazing. We get to see him make the gauntlet and then he owns us all. No, the greatest thing I saw as soon as that trailer got released, I saw this meme of um, the guy, what is it, Salt God? You know, the guy who like sprinkles the salt running down his arm and he looks all fancy with his little glasses. They replaced him with Thanos running the gems to the infinity gauntlet down his arm and just being like sprinkling them in mm-hmm. it was the greatest thing it was so funny amazing uh so we've we've given focus to the disney live action we've given focus to marvel it's only appropriate to talk about the more recent acquisition star wars now i don't think star wars is going to get too much of a focus here because the, the the difference here is marvel has lots of movies star wars is still starting out we have what two movies under the can- three movies under the canon um, with another one coming out this year. 
And I mean, we have some really great ideas, but they haven't come out yet. So with that, let's go ahead and start things off with, obviously, the most recent addition in the Star Wars canon. What are our thoughts on Star Wars The Last Jedi? Now, I've already kind of given my opinions in other episodes of Geek News. We actually did a full-on review, and the previous episode, actually, for Why We Geek was Star Wars. So a lot of people have my opinions on it, but I'll just go ahead and clarify. I love it. Um, I have a lot of the similar problems that a lot of other people have, but I I just I have to love it. Um, the, the added mysticism to a lot of it and a lot of the lessons that Last Jedi tries to teach. I am totally on board and a half with what Last Jedi has been able to do. I acknowledge its shortcomings, but this is still a very good movie, a very good middle movie for this trilogy. Um, so I'm still very much there. Lizzie, where are you standing with Last Jedi? And I guess the other question I should ask is how many times have you seen it already? So I've seen it twice. All right, there you go. Um, and I had to see it twice because after the first time, I was still trying to form opinions. Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot to take in. It is, it is packed full of all sorts of shenanigans and to felt for me to feel like I really got like a grasp on it. I had to see it at least twice. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I do like it. I, am I crazy over the moon about it? Not necessarily, but it's, I see why the choices were made that are in the film. You know, they're basically, they're cleaning slate. They're, paving the way for a whole new set of stories to come out. And I understand that. Um, some choices I liked more than others. Yeah. I don't think Leia Poppins was necessary by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> That's the first time I've heard it called that. It's what it is. That's what it is, yeah. <laughs> and I, I was watching that. I was like, Yo, she is strong. She has the force. That's amazing. You can show it in so many other ways than whatever is happening. So what you're saying is that Leia did not outdo Yondu? No. All right. Well, you did not outdo y'all. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all! Exactly. You can't outdo that. No. Um, I want that on a t-shirt. Seriously, though. Um, at the same time, I really liked what they were doing with Kylo. Yes. I saw a lot more to Kylo, because the first movie, I really wasn't scared of Kylo at all. I was like, you're a whiny, nasty little teenager who doesn't get his way and throws a tantrum and may, may, may go away. <laughs> we get it. But um, I saw more to him in this film that I actually really liked. Yes. Um... I didn't see as much depth to Ray, and I think that's because it was established in that, the film that's, before. That's the weird part about Force Awakens and Last Jedi is like it feels like there was a lot more depth to Ray, and then that flipped in Last Jedi, and there wasn't a whole lot of depth to Kylo, and, then and they flipped it. Yeah. yeah. So um, I do think that the whole love triangle-ish thing they set up at the very end of the movie is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I think it's highly unnecessary between um, Finn, Ray, and the girl who kisses and said, love you, and then, like, passes out. I'm like, that is the most cliche thing I've ever seen. Just talk about a shoehorned character. It's just, uh, like, so unnecessary. See, it's one of those things where I agree with a lot of people. That whole Finn storyline is just shoehorned in when nobody wanted it. Every time that you wanted to to not leave Octu, uh, the, the planet that Luke and Rey were on, mm -hmm that was when they they cut to it like they always cut it at the this really cool pivotal moment and, and then, then it was like really oh I, look the empire is evil it's almost like we knew that already no i just or i'm sorry the first order is evil literally the only thing that that storyline established was the kids that's yes. the only thing that it established so by the end of the movie when you see the little boy force the broom to his hand you're like oh i get it 
Really quick, so a lot of people also have this complaint. I actually kind of agree with this complaint. <coughs> what are your thoughts on the kids? Because to me, it actually breaks a real, it, it creates a problem within the continuity. The kids? Yes, because <laughs> if the Force just chooses you to be the most powerful um, amongst the Jedi or amongst the Sith, then what was the point of the chosen one aspect of the Skywalkers? Yeah, I, there's going to have to be, I'm definitely some explaining uh, with yeah, those kids. Yeah, because at that point, I, I like the original trilogy, most of it was hyping Anakin and Luke being some of those powerful force users in the galaxy. And the prequel trilogy is to show us that Anakin is that and that's why he becomes Darth Vader. And so at that point, I'm like, OK, so what you're basically saying is that Luke isn't as powerful as you wanted us to believe he was with this whole. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, do I understand the concept of why they gave the yes. hope to the kids? Yes. You know, and was it a cool little moment to see the little boy, you know, get the broom? Absolutely. Does it raise red flags and have me have a lot of questions that need answering? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I, I, here's the thing, like I'm complaining about it, but I do like the fact that the the force does respond to the fact that there are no Jedi, there are no Sith. You must have that balance in the way that you have the balance is you have to have both of that those elements existing. So at that point, I did like the fact that the force kind of chooses whoever their avatars will be for that means. It shows Rey, it shows Kylo. I like that idea, but I also can acknowledge the problem of like Luke was the chosen one. Are you are you basically saying that Luke isn't the chosen one? Yeah. What does the chosen one mean? Like chosen yeah. for that generation? Chosen for what? You know, exactly. Why do Jedi have prophecies if if the force is just going to choose whoever is the, the amazing one? The other thing I will also acknowledge that I love about Last Jedi is the evolution of Luke, um, yeah. because I, I've said it already. I. <laughs> You, I don't know if you saw it or not. I was crying in the film when Yoda showed up because the, the main reason I was crying is I don't know how many times in my own life failure has had to be my teacher. And the fact that this was the greatest lesson Luke had to learn was that failure is the greatest teacher you'll ever have. It brought a tear to my eye. Same thing with I mean, as much as we want to make fun of Leia Poppins, that that was that was also really sad. It's like, holy crap. She just died last year and now we're watching her die on screen. No. And it didn't help either when we got the later scene with Luke. It was like, and I think we've even confirmed that was the last scene those two ever did. Oh my gosh. So that was the last one they wrapped with. It, it's, it's either that or they, there's also some speculation. The last shot was when she goes in to shoot Poe. Mm. So I would love that to be your last scene. You're just like, really? Really? This is my last scene? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I would love to, to see like Carrie just go, really? This is my last scene. This is what you want me to shoot. You just want me to shoot this guy. Okay. okay. Boom. <laughs> so, uh, Andrea, your thoughts on the last Jedi. I really loved the last Jedi. I especially loved it. You know, when you got to see Luke being able to pretty much go into battle from a faraway place by using the force. I thought that was a really interesting idea, but at the same time, it just kind of felt like, Oh, you mean the, the astral projection projection. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which is like, wow, that was really amazing how he managed to pull that off. But at the same time, it kind of felt like I kind of wish he was actually there. Cause that almost felt more epic in a way. See, I like the projection idea, but I will admit that it actually takes a lot of the badassness 
out of the whole having been fired by a whole wave of ATATs. Or I don't know what they're called, but like those ATATs were constantly firing. He just comes out. He's like, okay, that brush off the shoulder will forever and always be a great moment in cinematic uh, yeah, history. The, the, the only problem I have is like, oh, he was he was not there the entire time. Oh, I kind of wanted like a bonus scene of him dodging everything. Yeah, but yeah, it just that was kind of like one of those love hate because you remember ways like, of how they did that was just like. Yeah. You loved it how he was like it was like he was invincible because he was not actually there. But at the same time, you kind of wish he was there to actually face the whole fire thing and you know, and be well, like he technically was. Well, like, yeah, he, he just projected himself out, but he was just as connected to that projection as that was to him. So but, that's yeah. why he died. But you cut. Yeah. But it was just well, like spoiler alert. I, he dies. Uh, <laughs> I just like, oh, it would have been probably much more emotional if he was actually physically there not just the thing that's interesting to me with luke in this movie in particular was all of the rumors surrounding mark hamill's attitude going into the film you know there's all these different reports saying how much you know he you know there's reports of him literally going up to the director being like i disagree with everything you've done with my character i disagree with the plot line i disagree with this feeling that being said, I will do my best to portray what you have written and him, you know, once the movie was released, him having recanting, saying I should not have judged, I should have did that, did that, did that. Yes. I, as bad as this sounds, I feel like in part of the movie, I could tell that he did not agree with what was happening, if that yes. makes sense. But maybe it was a better thing for him to, to have this approach because yeah. it sold the performance that much more. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I love Mark Hamill, but there, there are a few things that... I don't agree with him on his portrayal of Luke. Like, for example, I know that he hates the Empire Strikes Back scene um, of cutting off the Wampa's arm, and he hated that in the special edition they added to that. Um, but I like it because it actually gives us a point of perspective where Luke would actually hate doing this kind of thing to innocent creatures, where Mark just wanted to not do that. But you forget, you played the kid who bullseyed Womp Rats. Okay? Yeah. And so at that point, you needed to have that establishment of Luke now hates hurting innocent creatures. And I know that Mark hates it, but you needed to have that moment. The same thing needed to happen on Octu. You needed to know why he hated the Force and why he hated what, what came out of it. And again, I, I love the beauty of it because it just shows all of us that Lucas is, is just as... Luke is not this prophet this god that other people have made him out to be in the force awakens he's a man like we've all known him to be and he's made mistakes when he's been told for a long time here he's the chosen one he can't make mistakes and when he makes one it's going to affect your character a little bit um i especially love the interaction again i love the interactions between him and yoda where he was revering the text but he kept on saying i'm, I'm gonna do it i'm gonna i'm gonna burn him down i'm gonna destroy him Yoda's answer? Lightning. Yeah. Well, here's here's an interesting question. It's like, did you guys really believe that was really Snoke? And if so, I believe were you guys were you disappointed I that clone, he was he was killed in the second one versus like the final one or something? Well, look at look at the design of it. He looks like a clone. I I honestly believe, and this is my theory. I have no confirmation of it. I think he's a clone of Palpatine but he just goes by a different name. Interesting. And honestly, no, I don't think this is the end. Um, I think I think we'll see the next clone come out. Maybe he'll look a little bit more elegant. 
Uh, maybe he's a more refined design and it will look like Palpatine to some extent. Um, so I don't think we've seen the end of Snoke. I do think that was a really cool way to kill Snoke. That was sick. That was, that was so cool. Um, but I don't think that's the end of him. In fact, I've actually heard another interesting theory that I kind of hope happens, which is Snake wanted Kylo to kill him because now we might actually have our first ever Sith Force ghost. Oh my god! now gosh. the Force can actually fight amongst itself. Because it, actually, wouldn't that be really cool to have Snoke up against Force Ghost Yoda? Oh, wow. That's interesting. Um, the, the only basis for this is there's a little bit of artwork. Um, I think it's from the, the Last Jedi comic where they have Luke in his hut and he's like meditating, but there's this dark shadow. And this is after Snoke has been killed. So like this is where he's meditating and, and getting ready to die. And they almost kind of hint like, what if that's Snoke's ghost? And now he's officially like contending with Luke on the other side. Hmm. Wow. See, that's almost like a really cool thing that, that episode nine can do. Um, now, we've talked a lot about the, the the two episodes here. What are our thoughts on the expanded universe movies that we're doing here? We've already had Rogue One, which despite my problems with it, but a later, but a laying, but a talking. Um, we have a Han Solo movie coming. We have a Boba Fett movie, which is still in development hell. We have an Obi-Wan movie that's probably going to happen. Do we like this idea that they're they're actually going to go in, into expanded canon? They don't necessarily have to do like episodes. We can actually do stories about how Obi-Wan became a Jedi or how Boba Fett became the one guy to be swallowed by the Sarlacc pit three times. That's canon. I I, <laughs> I would think it'd be kind of interesting. He went back to Tatooine twice and got swallowed by that thing twice again. Just say. I just say it's pretty interesting to, you know, take those little side stories and just see how they ended up becoming part of. I think Rogue you know? One really really worked. I loved Rogue One. I'll right out and say, does it have issues? Yeah. Yeah. Do I still love it? Yeah. But it, it did a lot of things right. So so at that point, I think it's a really good blending. I mean, the ending the ending fight scene of trying to get the plans out. That oh was amazing. Oh, my gosh. So good. And a lot of the callbacks to original Star Wars. That was great. I think it's just Darth a, Vader. Holy crap. He got a spotlight in that movie. Yeah, like, I think it was just great that, you know, that it's a way to be able to tie in some little minor plot points that you wouldn't have never yeah. figured out you know just by telling its own side story somewhere down and, the and i think it's actually a good idea to do these expanded universe canon because now that you've said all of the expanded universe is not canon aside from the elements that you've brought in i mean grand admiral thrawn was brought in from the books to the Rebels series so that's happened uh you also have rebels as canon clone wars as canon uh so you have characters like ahsoka tano that are amazing characters by the way that are now officially canon and i would love to see them expand on those in live action i would love to see like i love to see them in live action we don't just heck, have to do han solo we can do ahsoka tano just for the hell of it yeah heck there probably is some expanded you know universe stories out there that are not part of canon that may look like that you know they could turn into something that l yeah. would do so well but i i will say this um so we already know that there's a new trilogy on the way and Ryan Johnson's running, writing it, um, writing and producing it. I think I really want to see like a five to 10 year divide from this. I like the fact that star Wars is generational. And so 
I'm not doing this just like if if I were doing things my way, it'd be out next year because I want to see as many Star Wars movies in my life as I can. But I like the fact that Star Wars, part of its lure for a lot of people is that it's generational. You can get a whole new slew of kids into this new trilogy and that's what they love. I still have met kids to this day who love the prequel trilogies way more than their parents do. And that's okay. Yeah. Um, I have problems with Force Awakens and Last Jedi. I love the fact that there's a whole new slew of kids that absolutely love what what Last Jedi has done. It's just it's just um, kids growing up, you know, this late in the Star Wars, you know, universe and stuff like that may not somehow seem like they would appreciate, you know, earlier ones like we were but it's kind of like vice versa and we the, this know. is kind of the problem that you run into if you do too much star wars people are going to get bored of star wars and it's going to lose that nostalgia and like the value that it has if there's too much of it it's less valuable mm-hmm. you know you know it's, it's one of those things where i love you disney but watch there, it there's <laughs> such a thing as a cash cow and there's such a thing as ca- as milking it too much okay and so at that point, that's why I'm saying, like, if they do a new trilogy, I don't care that it's off in a distant part of the galaxy. I don't care that it doesn't have to do with Jedi or Sith or anything like that. Give us like five to ten years um, to appreciate this current trilogy and then we can go into the new one kind of thing. And with that, I think that's actually a really great place to kind of wrap up the episode. So we've covered a lot of Disney live action. There's so much more, even even more to cover um, so much more that I think Lizzie will have to bring you back a couple other times just to go over everything. Aw, kind of shucks. Aw, darn. Po- twist my arm. Oh, yeah, that's a real twisting I'm doing right there. Yeah. Because, <laughs> I, I mean, we haven't even gone into Disney TV. We haven't even gone into Disney. Uh, uh, I'm sure I could come up with a dozen. Disney on Broadway, which you can actually talk <gasps> about. We could, there's so much stuff that, oh that could gosh. actually be done with Disney. It's, there's so much depth there. That's why I love this podcast and why why I made it. But we're going to go ahead and wrap up for now. So, Lizzie, if people want to get a hold of you to ask questions and give their thoughts on Beauty and the Beast or whatever, how do they get a hold of you? No, I'd love to hear from anyone. Um, so I am on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the things. It's all just Lizzie Mickelson. It's my name. And maybe what we'll also do is like if I get stuff directly to you, I'm just going to I'm already doing this for my other panelists, but I'm just going to forward it to you. I'm not even going to try. I, I used to be like, well, I'm not Alex, but here's how Alex hypothetically <laughs> uh, I've now actually gotten into the habit of like forward stuff off to people so that they can answer them appropriately. No, I'd love that. Way. Um, so, so there you go. Lizzie Mickelson in Facebook, Twitter, pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Um, and yes, she is my Disney pedia. She is awesome. An awesome resource to go over and just like, I don't know about this. And I actually think it was perfect. Like we, we just barely had this in the Disney animated one where you could actually clarify like which one was Disney animated and which one's Pixar yeah. kind of thing. Uh, Andrea, how do people get a hold of you? You could just get a hold of me on Facebook. It's just under Andrea Short Mickelson. All right. And if people want to get a hold of me, you can follow me on Twitter at Drac2326. And you can also follow my YouTube page on Twitter or on not on Twitter, on Facebook. DracLP is the headline for it. And frankly, there's so much to cover because we're actually getting ready to wrap up Kingdom Hearts. Uh, the first Kingdom Hearts, there's so much more to go over, but we have a, a bunch of other game plans in that process, too, along with a bonus episode that will be going to the YouTube feed only because we love you guys. And yes, I know we transition to an RSS feed with very little notice going to you guys. <laughs> we're going to give you guys a bonus Q&A session with with Lizzie, just going over Disney elements as well as some other stuff that we've discussed. So 
In the meantime, though, if you want to show your support for YB Geek, first of all, you can follow us on Twitter at YB Geek, and you can also go to ybgeek.podomatic.com. That'll give you access to the RSS feed, which you can have on iTunes, on Google Play for Android users. And we're actually getting ready to go over to, uh, not SoundCloud, um, Spotify. We're getting ready to go over there, too, so you guys can look forward to us there very soon. <clears throat> but that's going to go ahead and do it for us. So thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you guys so much for your support. And of course, we'll see you guys next time for the next episode of Why We Geek.